The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corellis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello all, I hope that you are enjoying the fall. I'm not going to continue rhyming. I thought that I had something else to give, but apparently I don't. (laughs) Anyway, I hope that you are all well into the swing of this new school year now that we are officially in the month of October. October is my favorite month for many, many reasons. Um, I mean, one being that my birthday is in October, so I guess... That's probably a big reason. My my husband and I are actually going to be heading out to San Francisco for my birthday next week. Um, so I won't be really doing very much in the way of dance during that week, but we're planning on taking a week to ourselves. Uh, we're visiting a friend who moved out there um, and his boyfriend. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, once we get back, then things get a little crazy. Um, there are some things that I can share and there's some things that I can't share yet. Um, but I'll be able to share those things soon. But for now, when I get back, um, in the exciting news, I'm going to be acting as guest ballet master for Brooklyn Ballet as they prepare for their Nutcracker season that is coming up. Um, that came about from an, an old peer of mine that I went to the School American Ballet with and he has uh, gotten an opportunity so I will be covering for him. So I'm excited to to do that. I'll be sharing the duties with uh, Michael Breeden who is another podcaster. Um, he does the Conversations on Dance podcast with Rebecca Ferraro King. Um, if you've never listened to them, go check them out. They do uh, interviews a lot on their podcasts and they've interviewed some uh, great luminaries in the dance world. So I'll be looking forward to sharing that with him. Um, Beyond that, I'm going to be choreographing a piece for Broadway Dance in his pro semester. Their pro semester is... um, I'm going to explain that later, so I'll get to that later. But so I'll be choreographing for them. I'm also choreographing at Steps on Broadway for the Professional Performance Workshop happening in mid-November. I did this back in June, and I choreographed a contemporary ballet piece. But this time, I'm going to choreograph a straight contemporary piece. And this is actually open to the public. So uh, there are 12 slots. Uh, If you are interested in taking part in this, uh, you can reach out to me, uh, either a direct message on... uh, Instagram or private message on Facebook or just email me or go through my website, uh, which I'll, I'll give at the end of the podcast. But yeah, so uh, there are 12 dancers that can do that. It's three hours once a week for four weeks starting on Halloween, the 31st of October and culminating in a in an industry showing in front of uh, potentially journalists from magazines, um, agents and all of that. So if you're interested in that, let me know. Uh, what else? I'm currently talking to four different competitions and conventions about 
judging and teaching for them this winter and spring. So I can't yet tell you any of that information, but stay tuned because I might actually be coming to a city near you. Looks like my I'm going to be starting traveling again. It's been a few years, um, but I'm excited about the possibilities. Lastly, a movement headquarters ballet company update. Our fundraising campaign, by the time that you're listening to this, I believe it will be complete. Tomorrow is our last day. So I'm recording this on Wednesday. This will release on Friday. So Thursday is the last day of our official fundraising campaign, even though fundraising never ends for Ballet Company. But at this point, we've raised more than $10,000 in donations, which is just crazy to me. We've raised this from friends and family to some fantastic people involved in the dance world. Uh, international choreographer Val Canaparoli is a donor, as is the legendary master teacher Nancy Bielski. So we've got some great support from our community and the local community and the national dance community, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, we also recently announced an exciting collaboration for our show in February. I have become friends with the Twiolins. They're an amazing brother-sister violin duo from Germany. And after talking back and forth, they offered us a piece of their music to create a a premiere for our launch. So we will have, be premiering a... A new solo uh, with music by the Twilins in our launch, uh, which will be happening this winter. So stay tuned for announcement. <laughs> with that, I actually just got the contract a couple of hours before I started recording this uh, to sign to officially get the theater for our performances. So I'm really excited about that, but I can't tell you until it's all official. Uh, but the, hopefully the next podcast, I can tell you that. I'm so excited. Just a little bit. You like how I got like quieter and calmer when I said I'm so excited. It's so typical. All right. So yeah, a lot of things are happening and I can't, I can barely keep them all straight in my brain, but it's all good. All right. So let's get on to today's topic. I feel like I've been taking a lot of risks lately, but I don't think that this is a trait that is unique to me. Uh, We've had a new pro semester group at Broadway Dance Center, and I'm going to explain that now since I didn't explain it earlier. So the pro semester at Broadway Dance Center, um, and this is not a paid advertisement. This is just me like talking about my life. Um, they have multiple different programs at Broadway Dance Center from the pro semester to the international student visa program that brings in international students um, to the tr- they have a training program and they have children's programs and things like that. The pro semester is supposed to be like uh, – I think they have how many it's like a four month period that's supposed to bridge the gap between dancers who are ready to become professionals but need a bit more training so every fall and every uh, spring or like late winter they have um, a pro semester group come in usually about 40 to 50 dancers and they they train for four months with us Um, but yeah so we had a new group start I believe at the end of August and so this past month and a half, I've really gone to start getting to know them. And there are a handful that have really been in my classes a lot. So I'm really getting to know those dancers. As I've gotten to know them, uh, we've spent the past few weeks talking more about taking risks in your dancing. Uh, and I, I feel like dancers are some of the greatest risk takers that I've ever met. So in today's episode, I want to talk about the importance of risk taking as a dancer and the different ways I see artists taking risks and how they can be both helpful and hurtful. 
So what exactly do I mean by risk? I think that most people understand what risk is, but I'm just going to elaborate a little bit more. Um, but yeah, there are many different types of risk in life. There's personal risk. So taking a chance on something that's going to affect your personal life um, and not really anybody else. There is professional risk uh, and that's risks that, are, that could affect your career. Um, there are risks that can be physical. I can say risks. Don't mind me not being able to actually say the word. But yeah, the physical risks, uh, like riding a skateboard. Um, if you're more likely to fall over and get hurt if you're like doing tricks on a skateboard. Uh, there are risks that can affect a group of people. Like if you think about right now that our nation is currently going through impeachment efforts. So the group of people that chose to do that took a risk. Um, that could affect the other group. It could affect... Um, their group, and I'm talking Democrats and Republicans, people, I'm not going to get into politics right now, but um, there's risks that can affect a small group of people or a large group of people. Uh, there are risks that could win you millions of dollars. There are risks that could you, could get you killed. Uh, there, there are tons of different risks in this life. Through this, it's, it's pretty evident that risk is a major part of most everybody's life. The only way I believe to avoid all risk is to stay in bed all day and do relatively nothing. But even if you do that, there, there are risks in living a sedentary lifestyle. So essentially, like just being human, to, to be human is to be a risk taker. Um, I guess it's just really like what level are the risks that you're willing to take? Um, and sometimes the level of risk is not proportionate to the failure or success that you receive um, or that you obtain by taking that risk. So yeah, the thing about risk in dancers is that it is literally our jobs to be major risks ta risk takers. I really can't say risk today, people. What is wrong with me? You would think that the <laughs> it's like a tongue twist. And the more you say it, the harder it gets to say. All right, back on track. So yeah, it's literally our jobs to be risk takers. We risk losing balance by standing on one leg on the tips of our toes and pirouetting around multiple times. We're some of the only human beings who regularly regularly risk flight without any apparatus to help carry us through the air. We risk our joints, muscles, tendons, and ligaments, <laughs> and our future health of those, those parts of our bodies. We risk our safety in the hands of others who will hold us in the air while we're being partnered. We put ourselves on stages and risk failing in front of dozens, hundreds, or thousands of people. So it makes sense that dancers are natural risk takers. I don't think that you could actually do that if you didn't have that inkling in there. Just showing up to work, we are already risking more danger than most. Having been regularly at the top of the list of work environments with most uh, risk of injury, uh, that's really what tells me that dancers are probably risking the most by going to work. Um Dancers and football players, actually, because I remember, yeah, football players are at the top of the list. Um, yeah, there are other jobs where you are dealing more, I, I'm talking more like general jobs. Like if you're the CEO of a major organization, yeah, you might be, you might have a lot of risk that you're taking on because you are, your decisions will affect everybody else in the company. But I'm talking about like a company comprised of dancers, not there aren't companies comprised of CEOs. So that's that conversation. So yeah, how is risk built into a dancer's body uh, and how is it, and, and, and their mind, their bodies and their mind, and how is it built safely so the level of risk doesn't match the level of safety? 
Um, so I know that I just said that I think a lot of dancers are natural risk takers, but I actually wasn't much of a risk taker as a kid. I had my first major asthma attack when I was three years old. And ever since that moment, my mom used to make me feel, and it wasn't her fault. It's like a typical Jewish mother thing. But my mom used to make me feel that if I had an, an asthma attack and she wasn't around me, that I would die. Not even joking. <laughs> like I was afraid, like I would go to school and because the nurse had inhalers and was told by my mom how to take care of me, I felt fine. But anywhere else I went, I thought that would happen. Like if I went to a sleepover, I was like, if something happens, I'm going to die. So make sure that you can call my mom right away. Um, yeah, that's probably part of the reason that I have so much anxiety now. Um, but yeah, I also didn't like pain in any way. The first time that my father tried to have a catch with me, I cried because when he threw the football at me and I caught it, it stung my hands. So then every time he threw it at me, I pretended like I couldn't catch it because I didn't want to feel the pain in my hands. So he eventually just gave up trying to play with me and asked my sister re to replace me. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, all of my, like, childhood trauma that made me to the person that I am today. <laughs> so, yeah, some may find it ironic that I ended up in a dance studio where dancers risk their bodies daily and inflict certain types of pain upon themselves gladly. Perhaps that's part of the reason I fell in love with dance. Um... The risks in dance are built systematically, and artists are given the tools to take risks when they are ready. Over time, dancers may be pushed to take bigger risks out of their comfort zones, but for the most part, in their younger years, dancers are guided through low-risk activities uh, that are fun and that are creative, and they're given clear and simple building blocks to move forward before they are asked to attempt highly dangerous skills. Um, a good example of this would be, let's say, talking about like building a pirouette. The first thing you, you would do is like you would have the student stand in fifth position. So, okay, what does it feel like to be in this twisted position with your legs, um, both feet on the floor, just standing upright and keeping your, your posture? So then after that, you might ask them to shift their weight over to their left leg, um, lifting the right foot off the floor and lifting it to coupe. Okay, so now you're balancing coupe. If you're going to fall over, you put your foot down, but it's not that bad because your foot's not that far away from the floor. Coupe is right at the ankle. Um, so if you feel imbalanced and like you're going to fall, you just quickly put the foot down. It doesn't have very far to go. Once you get comfortable in that position, you build it up to retire. So then that's the, the right leg would be up at the knee while the left foot is still on the floor. Um, and so you find your balance there and worse comes to worse. You just put your, your right leg down and you, you regain your balance instead of falling over. Then from there, we go back down to fifth position and you would rise up to susu. So you would feel what your legs feel like two feet on the floor, but on releve with your heels lifted up in the air, um, finding your balance on two feet. Then over time, you're going to develop that right foot up into, into coupe. Um, so you're holding the coupe on releve. So the right foot's on the ankle and the left foot is on the heel up with the toes on the floor. And then eventually you'll bring that right leg back up to retire at the knee. Then once you are able to start finding your balance in those positions, then you might add a quarter turn. And then once you master your quarter turns, you can add half turns. And once you master your half turns, then you can add whole turns. Um, and then eventually that can go on point. So th there are all these building blocks so that you're not just having dancers turning out of nowhere because it's really disorienting to be on releve with your heel off the ground, turning around, um, 
on one leg. It, it, it can be very scary if you just go for it. But there are so many building blocks that get you there that it, it, it makes sure that by the time that you get there, you're, you're comfortable. So yeah, most major steps in dance are built over time uh, from dozens of building blocks. So when you're finally asked to do the big thing, multiple pirouettes or multiple pirouettes on point, you are already physically and emotionally prepared. Also, you, you've had a bunch of times to fail the steps before and all of those other, all of the practicing of the other steps that built into the, that, that pirouette. Uh, so you aren't usually as afraid of falling because you've already probably fallen out of the other steps multiple times so that you know that, okay, yes, I'm turning, but if I put my right leg down, I should be fine. This type of exponential risk growth happens in practically everything in ballet, or it should. <laughs> uh, so while in more advanced things like, let's say, a presage lift in partnering where the woman is in an arabesque and the man has one hand on her uh, her torso and the other one on her leg and pushes her above his his head um, and holds her there, or a double soda basque where a dancer jumps in a retrograde position and turns twice in the air, or fuete is on point, fuete turns, where the women are doing the consecutive turns uh, around and around and around, whipping around. Um, they seem extremely, the, the, these things seem extremely risky, but dancers execute them without fear because their risk factor developed slowly over time. This is extremely important in training dancers, especially uh, in today's Instagram culture, where dancers can see practically any step online and mimic it. Sometimes dancers take risks on their own, but often today teachers who are trying to retain students or fast track their, their dancers miss the, these important smaller risks. A good example of unnecessary unstructured risk happened when I was traveling the country as a freelance artist. I was brought in to do the Nutcracker at a school where I would partner the school's most talented student. She would play, she played the, the Sugar Plum Fairy and I was her cavalier. Uh, this young dancer was about, she was 15 or 16 years old, I can't remember exactly, and her training was, it was rather sloppy, but that's not important, I don't need to get into that. Um, but I was there to do my job, which was exactly what they asked me, uh, and I did just that until one rehearsal where I was instructed to do a helicopter lift. So a helicopter lift, I just explained to you what a pressage lift is. So we call them press lifts, a pressage lift. When you push, when you, when you press the woman over your head in an arabesque position in a helicopter, you do that, but the woman faces you when she goes into the press lift. And then as you're pushing her up, you keep your hand on her torso but you throw her arabesque leg and you push it up and over your head and then that make, it causes her to flip around and you catch her in a fish lift, which is when uh, you have her body, like her torso in your arm and then your other hand is hooked underneath her leg or over her leg, depending on how it is, and uh, you lean her close to the floor. This is all complicated to... When I did my notes, I didn't realize that all these steps I would be talking about, if I wanted you to understand them and you don't know what they are, they're complicated. <laughs> but so you get the idea. Um, so yeah, they uh, they asked me to do a helicopter lift. And I I was doing some partnering that I didn't think that this, this younger dancer should have been doing um, because they hired me to teach her. So we tried to give her an experience in partnering that she wouldn't have uh, if I were not hired to do it. But I finally put my foot down and told the director that I wouldn't do it because honestly, I've rarely even seen a professional do a helicopter lift on stage. 
Um, I've done a few of them before on stage. I did them a lot in like partnering class, but it's not really a commonly done step. And this dancer looked afraid to do it, and she didn't have any prior partner experience that would have allowed, like, would have given her those building blocks to get through the helicopter lift properly. Now, here's the thing. It's really, really common to try things that are beyond your skill level as a dancer. And like I said, this is also Instagram culture, but it still happened when I was younger because I watch a VHS, aging myself a little bit, but I'd watch a VS, VHS tape and I would see Dance with the American Ballet Theater doing these really cool lifts. And I would be like, well, I want to be like them. I'm going to try it. But I, in reality, I, I'm lucky I didn't get hurt or hurt anybody um, because I, I hadn't gone through the building blocks always of these things. So yeah, in this occasion, I decided the risk was too great and it we, did, we didn't really build up to it enough to execute it with her. So after an uncomfortable conversation, the director finally agreed to alter the lift. I mean, it was uncomfortable because I said, no, I won't do it. <laughs> and when she tried to convince me to do it, I refused. So yeah, it was a bit uncomfortable. Um, but you know, sometimes you have to stand up for yourself because yes, while we are risk takers as dancers, um, the, the greatest risks could actually prevent us from dancing. Um, and beyond that, they could actually injure you for life. Um, I've seen some crazy things go down and you don't want to be taking a risk that you haven't prepared yourself for and it could cause you your ability to walk. Like I've never seen it happen. I haven't, I've only heard of it happening once. Um, but there are certain things in dance where if you don't prepare yourself through all of these risk levels that you could become paraplegic or quadriplegic or paralyzed was the word I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, as I've discussed thus far, practically everything physical in dance is a risk, but proper training really is geared to take tiny risks and build them over time so that major risks don't feel like such. At a certain point, though, as I've been discussing with my students at Broadway Dance Center, you have to take on the responsibility yourself as a dancer to add additional risk. You, you have to say, am I getting comfortable in my technique? And if, I, if you are, where can you push it? Can I jump a little higher in that jump? Can I, that I, that I do all the time every day where that doesn't even seem like a risk where you're like, okay, I've got this mastered, but that's the joy of being a dancer. You've mastered something and you, then you go, okay, can I get a little higher? Can I make my legs a little bit more flexible? Can I add something to this? Um, obviously you need to have a baseline level of, being able to execute that step whenever it's asked because chances are if you've perfected it you've done it enough or you're going to need to do it in performance um but trying to push it to the next level you can or other situations would be like can i squeak out one more turn um can i get my like one inch higher in adagio can i balance this uh this position a, a moment longer two counts longer um it's our job as teachers to remind you when you get to a higher level, like especially with this pro semester group where they're supposed to be bridging the gap between their final year of training and becoming a professional. So sometimes they just need that reminder that it's their responsibility to do that. And that that's what I, I take upon myself. But yes, as a dancer, if you're getting to that point where you're coming to the end of your training, or if you are dancing professionally, it's your job to constantly be checking in with yourself and saying, okay, is there more that I can do here? And then taking that, that risk upon yourself. 
With all of this risk-taking in the physical part of dancing, it's not surprising that dancers turn into risk-takers beyond the studio. I moved away from home to train when I was 17, uh, but I know some dancers who left home at, at 14, and I don't even want to talk about this. I knew one dancer that left home at nine. Um, I didn't think that that was an appropriate decision. That dancer did not have a career in dance, and I think that that's a part of the reason why. But yeah, uh, some dancers uh, leave home very, very young. Many of these dancers risk appropriate socialization by leaving their high schools and their homes, not knowing if they're still going to end up going to college like their peers are at the same time because they didn't achieve a career or if they will be performing for thousands of patrons a night by the time they're 18. Dancers risk leaving their comfort zones constantly. I remember when I was younger and obsessed with the Weather Channel. Don't ask. (laughs) For eight years, I was obsessed. I still watch the Weather Channel regularly, but I was obsessed with it. I wanted to be a meteorologist if I wasn't going to be a dancer. But I remember a new Weather Woman uh, who had just come onto the network, and they were doing a short interview of her, and she was explaining how she had moved to Atlanta uh, specifically to work at the Weather Channel. And I remember, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like a preteen. I just remember being shocked. Uh, that as she explained leaving her family to fulfill this career dream she was post-college at this point so she's probably like in her mid-20s and at that time I couldn't imagine moving away from your family for a job but practically all dancers risk losing their community their support system and building lives in new cities at extremely young ages for a chance to continue their lives as ultimate risk takers and this is necessary because there are so few jobs for dancers If dancers hadn't risked these challenging, fascinating careers, they could have gotten a job in accounting. No offense if anybody's an accountant here. I'm just saying it's like one of those jobs where you could be be anywhere and find a job in that. Um, But dancers risk working strenuously for very few jobs that they will probably have to leave. (laughs) Risk leaving their their homes, their friends, their families, and their comfort zones. Um, In fact, there's a a dancer who... uh, Giovanni Furlon from he was formerly a principal with Miami City Ballet he got the opportunity to become a soloist with New York City Ballet um, and he, he took the position he just moved here and he has a partner down in, in Miami and that's one of those things the job opportunity can't, came up an opportunity you can't pass up and you risk leaving a company that you are doing very well at you're very comfortable with where you have friends you have family um, and a partner in risking all those things by by following your dreams. So um, the risks in dance go, the risks that dancers are willing to take go way beyond just jumping and turning in the air or picking people up and trusting your, trusting your entire physicality to somebody holding you in the air for performance purposes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, speaking of fascinating, one of the most fascinating things I've seen has been dancers who complete their careers in, uh, and, and they use their built-in risk-taking skills to get to the next level of their careers. Most of the young dancers who don't end up having a career in dance but go through a majority of their training and then either go into a trainee program and burn out or audition and don't don't get jobs and they go straight to college or the dancers who have had a performance career and then they retire but choose not to stay within our field most of them 
end up using their discipline and risk-taking skills to build fantastic careers for themselves outside of dance. Um, I, I can't tell you how many former dancers, whether they were former professional training students or whether they are former professionals, are now lawyers and doctors or entrepreneurs. Like Not just like... Uh, struggling entrepreneurs, like successful entrepreneurs. Um, I think that the reason that they are able to do these, have these great second careers or first careers is due to their skillful risk-taking. Um, they're not afraid to try something and fail because really what dance training comes down to is cultivating being okay with trying something and not doing it well and then not being turned off by that but continuing to try it again and again and again until you find a way to make it work um that's that's really what it means to be a dancer it means to to just be willing to work something to death until until it finally works and it that discipline and mentality just bleeds into so many other areas of life. Um, and for that reason, and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back. I'm trying to pat my community on the back that, that for that reason, I have so much respect for dancers because whether it's in the studio, whether it's on the stage, whether it's in their, their, their next careers, whether it's in their relationships with, with their friends and their family and their community and their uh, people in their work environments, dancers are willing to take risks and they're willing to push people around them to take risks and to, to just do it all to better themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I really feel that dancers are, are built to be risk takers. It's just in our blood. And I mean, even myself, who wasn't a risk taker initially as a kid, through my training, I, I've been able to risk so many things in my career. And I'm not going to go through the whole list of things because uh, if you're a regular listener, you've already heard the things that I've taken risks on. Um, and if you're new to me, uh, new to me and Pod to Chat here on the Premier Dance Network, um, you can now have motivation to go back to past podcasts to learn more about uh, the risks that I've taken in my career. So yeah, um, if you aren't a dancer and you feel sometimes that you struggle with confidence to take risks, maybe consider stepping into a low-level uh, dance class and see what that does for you and just see how learning to take tiny risks and, and build those risks into bigger risks is beneficial in other parts of your life. All right, so with that, look at that. It's a half hour. This is one of my shorter podcasts. It's been a while since we've been down here at this 30-minute range. Um, but yeah, I hope that uh, this provided some valuable information for you. I'm curious, uh, are you a big risk taker as, a, as, a, as an artist? Are you, if you're not an artist, are you a big risk taker? Um, have you ever risked something and failed and you feel like it prevented you from taking other risks? Or are you more inspired to take more risks when it does fail? 
um, talk with me, people. It's been, it's been, it's funny. I go through periods of time where uh, listeners reach out to me so frequently that I can't even keep up with the pace of how many people are reaching out to me. And then I go through other periods where I, it's, I don't hear from people that often. I can always look at my stats and see that people are listening. Um, but I think because it's the new school year that a lot of people are very busy in their own lives and uh, getting in the flow of the 2019-2020 school year slash performance season slash everything else that goes along with that. So um, feel free to reach out to me, interact with me. Let me know what you think of this podcast. If you love it, let me know. If you hate it, let me know. If you want to hear a a specific topic, it's been a while since I've done a listener topic. So please feel free to reach out to me. I love hearing from you guys. All right. So I challenge you, if you got to the end of this podcast, I challenge you to find one thing this week that you are preparing for and to make a goal to take a bigger risk than you uh, would typically take. But make sure that it's one of those ones, like I was saying, you build these steps in dance to take bigger risks, something that you've been working towards, and then say, maybe I could push this a little bit further. All right. So that is my challenge for you this week. And I'm going to leave you with that. Good luck. Or as we say in the dance world, married with that. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, and you can find that at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. And on there, I wrote about working as a freelance artist and independent contractor touring the country for over five years. I also have Dancing Off Stage. You can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on there, I talked about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel if you want to check out my choreography, and you can find that by going to youtube.com, going to the search bar, and typing in B. Carolis. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.